I think that we over glamorize taking these big leaps and changing our lives and going after our dreams and not honoring the reality of what all of that means. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm not here for it. Like I am someone who in my own path, the way that like, I'm pretty risk averse, which is somewhat entertaining when you look at my path and the fact that I went and worked for a startup, which very risky. You know, I quit my job and lived a year in Bali and then started my own business. Like all of those things do not sound like I'm risk averse, but what you don't see under the surface of all of that is I was able to face fear by nudging. Like I was doing these kind of like little shifts of the tectonic plates so that they didn't break apart all at once. They were just kind of moving until I got closer to the other place that I could then take a little jump and not a massive leap. That was Maxie McCoy. She is, honestly, her energy is gorgeous. I thoroughly enjoyed connecting with her and I'm sure you too will enjoy our conversation. We're talking about how to make the big choices in life, what to do when it's time to move on from a dream that you had, how to know when it's time to step into a new dream, even though you're comfortable and life is good. She has a book called You're Not Lost, and it's an inspired action plan for finding your own way. She's practical in the way she approaches things and we joke about how just hearing that everything happens for a reason or the dots will all connect is not that useful when you're feeling stuck in your own stuff. If you've ever felt lost or if you're feeling lost now, this will serve as a really inspirational listen to help you recognize how not alone you are in that feeling. We all go through it at one time or another and what you can potentially do to get yourself moving. As a brief introduction, Maxie is an author, a woman who likes to rock stages in hot pink as an inspirational speaker, and she herself says she is here for the global rise of women. Enjoy this listen. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Maxie, it is a treat to connect with you. Welcome to Here to Thrive. Kate, thank you so much for having me. I'm really grateful to be here. So as a little bit of an introduction to how I found Maxie, we were just joking about this before we started recording. I stumbled across Maxie's book in a Barnes & Noble. That does happen, people. And as I said to Maxie, it absolutely just demanded to come home with me. There was no way I could leave the <laughs> store without that book. It was like screaming my name from the shelves. And I'm so grateful that I did. Uh, I just, you 
this is just every author's dream is to hear that because you do kind of get into this belief that that doesn't actually happen, but it does. So thank you. Yeah. I didn't find you on Instagram. I didn't, I found you in the bookstore and then I went onto Instagram and did all of the other pieces to, <laughs> to find you, but no good old fashioned bookstore find. You no, know, I'm going to use this sound bite and uh, tell my publisher that, that all of my guerrilla marketing of going into bookstores and moving the book or turning the book cover facing actually works. Oh, it totally does. It totally does. As a little bit of a quick introduction, you are a kick-ass millennial woman out to support the rise of female leaders everywhere. I love it. But that's not where you started, was it? As 18-year-old no. Maxie, yeah. <laughs> what were you thinking you would do? Oh, you know, I thought I was going to be on TV, specifically Sports Center, living in Bristol, Connecticut, covering uh, covering sports. I, I thought I was going to be a sports broadcaster. But you went really into that. It's not like this was just some pipe dream of like, yeah. you know, 16, 17-year-old, 18-year-old Maxie. You went to college, yeah. studied journalism, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. I, I started to get my feet into that world through college, studying journalism, doing internships at ESPN, NFL films, doing some little projects for ESPNU. And then my first job out of college was hosting this tiny segment covering high school football in Texas. And yeah, I realized pretty quickly, this is not what I want for the rest of my life. So you've invested in, I mean, how many years was a degree in America? I always get confused. Four years of college? Yeah, it's four. And then you come out, you get this taste of the glory. You're on the big dream ESPN. You have your moment in the sun, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when I was interning at ESPN in, in Bristol, which is their headquarters, I started to see, oh... I don't know if I actually want to be here. And it's like one of the most competitive internships you can get in college. And then when I got my segment for Fox Sports Southwest in Dallas, which was this like tiny gig for the fall, I was like, oh, I really actually don't want this. And then it was, you know, I was having to go make my make my mistakes in a smaller market and looking at job offers to do that in order to move back up. And that's kind of when the dream really, the bottom fell out on the dream is the easiest way to put it, which I think we've all probably been there when there's something that we say we really, really want. And then we get it and we're not that happy. That's what I want to talk about because I feel like so many listeners can understand the space. I mean, I went to school and started studying law and I persisted at that for three years. And if people have listened to my other stories, I flunked out of law school, but not at the start. It took me, it took, I, I passed all the beginning. And then I realized, well, I think it was a little bit of divine intervention because I wasn't putting in any effort, but there was a part of me that knew I didn't want to be on that path, but my head was not willing to own that yet. Yeah. So when the bottom fell out of my dream, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer, which I had been telling myself for so long. For so long, right? It becomes an identity. It was totally, my identity was wrapped up with this, I'm going to be a lawyer. And then that's no longer, well, for me, it was no longer even an option. I was like, shit, what am mm-hmm, I going to do mm-hmm, here? Did mm-hmm. you have that feeling when the bottom oh, kind of fell yeah. out of your dream? 
Yeah, I mean, it was a really, in my own journey of feeling lost, which is so, you know, is a through line through this entire book. And it's why I started paying attention to other women who started feeling that way. It was a gnarly experience to have this thing that you've been saying for years that you want to do and realize, I don't want to do this anymore. And if that's the case, what do what do I want? And if I don't know how to answer that, what am I supposed to be doing right now? And it just became this really tough cycle that, in all honesty, took me a couple of years to get out of, which was a really long couple of years. <laughs> you decide, ugh, I'm not loving this. I'm back in uh, Texas. This yep. isn't what I wanted. I've seen the other side of where I'm going to with this dream, and I don't even think I want to get there. Can we talk a little bit about what those two years look like? Did you just immediately wake up one day and say, this is no longer the dream for me? Was it a process of letting go? And what did that pivot look like? It was a lot of shutting and a lot of kind of, to your point, letting go of the tightness. And it, there was a lot of friction. I mean, those couple of years, it was really a lot of friction. I remember vividly having conversations with my dad, who has always been my biggest cheerleader, my original mentor. And I was considering a job hosting a morning show in a tiny town. And he was just like, I don't. I don't think this is really what you want. I don't think this is the move. I want you to consider this more. And then I took a trip out to San Francisco to see some friends from college. And I was having conversations with some mentors here. And I remember just having so much emotion around not knowing what to do, not trusting myself, not trusting this truth. Um, it, yeah, it just, it was so much friction. And what ended up coming out of that was a decision to take a job in San Francisco that still had a little bit of an element of what I had been doing, which was sports, but a little bit more of some on purpose work. It was a nonprofit here uh, in San Francisco. So I moved my life from Texas to San Francisco for a job with someone that I had known for a number of years. And it turned out that wasn't the right move either. And that was also a really tough year because I was still unwilling to kind of let this through line of sports and of just kind of this old identity as an athlete uh, and letting all of that go. And it wasn't until I was at such a, a pretty dark and lost place. And I'll say, you know, from like a mental health perspective, I'm really above the line naturally, like very optimistic, very, very equilibrium. But when I look back at that, of the amount of emotion that was going on, I mean, my whole body was twitching for months on end, which now I know is just like pretty intense anxiety. Then I had no idea what was going on. And so I just almost out of desperation was made a decision to take a writing class and just write about the things that were really true to my heart without knowing where it was all going to go. Because I was like, I love writing and this I can do no matter how much I dislike my job. If we didn't mention it already, Maxie's book is called You're Not Lost. And one of the through lines that I picked up in the book was that 
Just because you feel lost doesn't mean you can't move in some direction. And that sometimes you're not going to see the whole path before life is going to require you to move in some direction. So what I'm hearing in your story as you're telling it is that that wasn't necessarily the perfect thing that you moved to, but it was part of the journey and it was an essential Mm -hmm. part. Is that fair to say? It's 100% fair to say, and it's the thing that can only be said in hindsight, right? You know, while I was doing it, I didn't know that I was moving the big goal aside. I didn't know that I was just doing something that energized me and trusting that it would open up a bigger path. I was just moving and you're a hundred percent right. And when I'm able to look on my own journey and layer that on the journeys of countless and countless successful women, they all show that similar thing that we have to be willing to not know where it all ends up and, and be willing to do something anyways. Oh my gosh, I have full body tingles because you know that quote by Steve Jobs and his commencement speech of like, you don't know what the dots the dots the dots people the dots dots. and they do they they always connect in in hindsight and while (laughs) I'm very sensitive to the fact that when you're feeling lost and you hear well the dots are all gonna connect (laughs) just trust it it's like that that is the most useless thing like this does not help me at all right And that's really what I wanted because I had so many people tell me when I was feeling lost, like it's all going to make sense. It's just trust where you're at and it's true, but it's not helpful. And so I really tried to figure out what are the things that we can do that are true to this intention, but that actually get someone to move, actually get someone out of their head and is actually helpful. You have so many, the whole book is like an, a natural unfolding of steps you can take. Yeah. Is yes. there anyone that you think is worth sharing at this point in our conversation? When you look back, for example, is there anything that would have helped ground you in those moments that you can share easily with us as you're navigating that if one more person tells me that everything <laughs> happens for a reason, I'm going to scream at them. That kind of feeling. <laughs> yep. Yes, it is. I mean, there's two, there's two practices that both came up during different times in my journey that I think if I had had them earlier would have been very, very helpful, which, which were these two first and foremost, when you, when you are feeling lost, one of two things is happening, right? You either have no idea what your big picture is. So therefore you don't know what to do now, or you have your big picture and you hate it. And so you (laughs) don't know what to do now. Um, and, and both the through lines in that are just feeling completely paralyzed and completely stuck. And so we think that we need to go and figure out this big, you know, 10 point plan. And, but then we're like, okay, I've got this plan, but if I'm not there, then I don't want to be here. And if I'm not here again, I don't know what to do. And I really wish that I had taken a moment to take a breath and just ask myself, what are these things that consistently bring me energy that consistently light me up, that consistently make me feel proud. And then just to 
to see what's the absolute smallest thing I can do about that. Not just today, but tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next month. Because Kate, you know this from every successful woman you've ever interviewed, I'm sure. The difference between people who do really cool stuff and those who don't end up doing it are the ones who just consistently showed up. And the only way that we do that is by making it small. Oh, so true. So, so true. I haven't had Glennon Doyle on the podcast yet, but I can just remember when I was a mom at home with small children and there weren't a lot of people in the self-help space that were navigating that while, while bringing up small kids. And I can remember she just said like, it is the little space of writing I have every day. I'm not locking myself in a room for weeks on end. I am stealing a moment here and I'm stealing a moment there. And, yep. and her message was the same. Just show up every day and do something little. It doesn't have to be some grand gesture every day. It's it those doesn't. tiny steps. Yeah, it doesn't. She's completely right. And I remember coming across her that same writing advice. And I think that... I think that it applies to no matter what it is that you're trying to do and trying to create, because the deal is like, even if it's 15 minutes of doing some research on some classes around something that makes you feel excited, you know, you just don't know where that ends up. And you also, those 15 minutes are enough to give you the feeling of flow and momentum. And that's what you're actually looking for to get you out of these lost feelings because these what happens is these small actions build a sense of self-belief in us and then we have a little bit more belief in what we can do and we take a little bit of a bigger step and then we have a little bit more belief and then we have a little bit of a bigger step and then before we know it we're doing some really major stuff that would have really scared our pants off two years ago oh Yep. I hear you. Yeah. So you're in San Francisco. You also mentioned the book you worked for Levo League, which is like a millennial. What, how would you describe Levo League? Yeah. It was a platform for millennial women in their careers, you know, circa 2011, 2012, before, before women's leadership was the entire movement. It is today. It was really one of the, one of the first people speaking to young women in their careers. I was a member in Houston when I lived there. Love it. What was your role at Levo and how did this play any part in your own kind of evolution or journey? It it was the whole part. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go there. Yeah. So it really was the rocket ship of my career. And Sheryl Sandberg says, just get on a rocket ship and don't ask where you're going. That, That kind of was my experience. And so what I was doing is I was brought on as the fifth employee to build out the global community. So it was a it was a digital platform, right? But we were really really steadfast on you need to be able to create in-person connections and I've always been really passionate about what happens offline and the magic that happens within the four walls of a physical space. So I was tasked with building out the global communities in 30 different cities around the world. And what's really special about this story is I got this job, Kate, because 
that writing class that I decided to sign up for when I was at a different job that I was really, really not doing well in. And so I took this writing class. I'm like, this is going to bring me energy. The topics I was writing about were women in their careers. A woman in my class showed me the front page of the San Francisco Chronicles business section. And it was Levo. And she said, you need to talk to these women. They're building a platform around all the same topics that you're writing about. Whoa. That's how I ended up there. And it was because I was like, oh, okay. And I did a lot of Google stalking, did a lot of emailing, met these girls, stayed in touch with them. And then I became part of the early team. And it was really the job that changed my life because what happened is I... I had a role where quite literally 90% of my time was spent in rooms full of in-person women. And I was building out the workshops, doing all of the talent and facilitation of panels and keynotes and, and curriculum experiences in these different cities around the world. And I was like, wow, we're talking about negotiation and office politics and leadership. And I kept seeing these really consistent through lines in all the conversations with these women over the years. That was, there was a lot going on below the surface level of success. And we were really kind of circling around a lot of these self-belief and confidence topics. And so I started writing about them on a blog which was my own blog, just kind of these universal truths that were not as career specific. And, and so this writing is happening. And then as I'm paying attention to what these women are saying to me in every city, I keep hearing the same thing, which is, I feel so lost. I feel so lost. I feel so lost. I'm lost. I don't know what I'm doing. And all these women are really educated, really successful, have amazing jobs, have incredible intelligence and work ethic. And I'm like, why are they feeling this way? And I know I felt this way before. And so it was just this over the years, a beautiful storm of these different elements that that led me here. I'm just sitting back in disbelief because it's stories like yours where you can't help but go, wow, it did all just bring itself together and look at where I am today. And it's kind of one of those paths that you couldn't plan if you had tried. Never, ever, not, not once. And you know, most, most of us have these paths that feel like they were way bigger than our plans. And we showed up for it. You know, I, there were a number of risks in the past six plus years that I have taken because some of these dots that felt bigger than me, that felt very universe, that felt like signs, uh, that I had no choice but to just kind of stare fear in the face and and try and figure out a way to make it all work. I want to talk to you about that very topic of how do we know when we're ready to make a bold move? Like you have said, you've had to make a number of risky, scary, look fear in the face moves over the last several years to end up where you are today. How did you know when it was time to step out and take that risk? I always know when I am ready, when it feels like I'm ignoring a really major truth every day that I'm not honoring my own dream. And there is a really amazing poem by Anais Nin. 
it might be Nin. I don't know how to say it. I don't it, know how to say her name. I wish it's okay. No one judge me, but it's the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. And that for me is always just, it's so much less about the words and it's more about a feeling when we just know that we're not honoring ourselves. We're not honoring the fullest expression of who we can be by ignoring doing something about what we're thinking anymore. And here's the deal in conjunction with this that I feel very strongly about. I think that we over glamorize taking these big leaps and changing our lives and going after our dreams and not honoring the reality of what all of that means. Oh yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Like I'm just, I'm not here for it. Like I am someone who in my own path, the way that like, I'm pretty risk averse, which is somewhat entertaining when you look at my path and the fact that I went and worked for a startup, which very risky, you know, I quit my job and lived a year in Bali and then started my own business. Like all of those things do not sound like I'm risk averse, but what you don't see under the surface of all of that is I was able to face fear by nudging. Like I was doing these kind of like little shifts of the tectonic plates so that they didn't break apart all at once. They were just kind of moving until I got closer to the other place that I could then take a little jump and not a massive leap. And I think if you actually drill down into anyone's journey, more of what you find are these little steps where there was the final step that looks like the big leap, but it wasn't actually a leapfrog. Oh my gosh, you and I are so, we are soul sisters because I always say to my clients and I get frustrated again with the, the, the glory of the big leap. And I'm like, I do not, I am not a coach that is going to encourage you to walk off a cliff. I'm just no, not that no. coach. So no. if you're looking for someone who's going to tell you to throw caution to the wind and not jump me. into, yeah, that's yeah. not me. Yeah. Um, I love the way you frame it up though, where you talk about this was a series of a lot of little nudges that on the outside can look like a big shift, but these were little step by little step by little step. It comes right back to what we were talking about at the start, that change happens, that progress happens in those little steps, not one gigantic jump off a cliff move. Yeah. And, you know, I think when we talk about these big leaps, we're not talking about the privilege involved in taking those, you know, the ones, the people who actually do jump from A to Z either have some kind of financial funding from a different source, whether that's venture capital or family or something else. And that's not true for the majority of people. So for us to glamorize those things, even being a business owner, I tell a lot of people, I have other sources of income that no one necessarily sees like ongoing writing gigs that pay my basics. Or the reason I moved to Bali was because it was very cheap to live there. And I kept my old job on a consulting retainer. And so I was able to put money into savings for when I was without a safety net. So yeah, it's just the more that we can ask honest questions of the people around us and the paths that we kind of hold up on a pedestal and judge and compare ourselves against, we'll actually see that there's a lot more to the story that wasn't worth comparing ourselves to because we we weren't comparing the right variables. Oh, that is so powerful. And I feel like a lot of people aren't real about that part of the story, right? Yeah. 
So you're at Levo League. You just yeah. said the job is amazing. It was what launched where you are today. Obviously, it was this setting. It sounds like it was built in research, but like oh, it was. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it was it 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 was 100% built in research in the body of work that that got me here. 100%. You know, it, I didn't know that I was researching a book during all those years, but that's exactly what happened. Oh, so good. Oh, can I just quickly say, Cheryl Sandberg was an investor in Levo, wasn't she? She was. Did yeah, you ever meet her? Asked- I did. Oh. I did. Actually, it was it was about a year ago today, and I um, and the reason I know this is because Facebook threw a memory to me about her. It was her lean in like book launch party at her house, and I have this photo of she and I both holding these cookies with her face on it. <laughs> oh, that is epic! So she is as cool as she appears to be. She was lovely. She was absolutely lovely. Okay, that was a little bit of a side fangirl moment. Let's come back to what I was actually going to ask is, you're at Levo. The opportunities are fantastic. You're loving it. You're loving the women you're working with. At what point do you start to think, I can't stay here forever? Yeah, it was it was a hard point, as I'll tell you I, that. Because how do you walk away from something that feels good? Because you're talking about like the start of your career, you walk away from something that feels like it no longer fits. But from the way I read your book, it felt like Levo felt good. It did. It did. It felt good in all of the ways that comfort feel good, right? Yeah. And it was that. And that's kind of how I knew is I was like, I'm not even thinking about the future. I'm just so... I'm just so comfortable. Yeah. And content. And that makes me sound like a little bit of a masochist. Like why would you? (laughs) (laughs) She wanted to kill that content. Yeah. Like, right. (laughs) Um, But what was happening is I was content and I was comfortable and I was wildly grateful. And, and those combination, you know, that kind combination really kind of tries to keep you from thinking about anything else. I don't want to seem ungrateful by wanting something else. I I don't want to make my life miserable. Like, why can't I just like this? But what started to happen was I had been writing and my blog had, it had started to build a modest following. And these women were asking me for things that were beyond, you know, my role and companies were asking for me to come facilitate. And, and there, it just, you know, these little lights started to turn on for me. That was like, if I want to fully express the, the message and the work and these things that are starting to align for me, I might, there might be something else here, but, but that's like four to five years from now. Like I don't have to worry about this right now. And then what I did, because when I started to feel that pull of, something more, which I'm sure many of you can, can relate to. You start to feel like there's something bigger here. There's something more, but I have no idea what it is. It was like, you can feel the heat of the sun without being able to see it behind the clouds. And that's kind of what was going on for me. But I was torturing myself on like, what is the North star then? I don't, I don't get it. And I decided to enlist the help of people who I call my cheerleaders, people who just are always in my corner, very much believe in my talents and skill sets and what I have to offer the world. And I surveyed them. And, you know, I still look at that spreadsheet from almost five years ago. And it's insane, Kate, because it is literally my life to a T right now. And it gave me the kind of momentum 
to see bigger for myself because they all saw it. And that five-year plan that I thought was going to be, you know, at minimum three years at, at most five of kind of doing my own thing and maybe writing a book and creating a business around giving women the tools they need to believe in themselves, which I had always known was where I, I was really aligned is really being women's cheerleader it just, it all sped up. And before I knew it within months, I was having the conversation that I was going to go do this. And within nine months, I launched my own business. And so it just, things can really speed up when you're willing to look them in the face. And also when you are recognizing the support that's actually around you when you get out of your own head. Oh, what I'm, yeah, I I'm hearing you on this one. And what I'm listening to is you saying, you finally allowed yourself to really own the dream and then there was no going back. Yeah, there just wasn't. You couldn't, there just kind of is no going back. I, I always say it's it's a truth that I couldn't unsee and and that's just what it was for me and, and there wasn't any going back. Paint us a little picture of what your life looks like today, Maxie. What are you doing now so people can find you around the world yeah so i am i am doing just still so much writing you know a lot of the offline experiences and workshops and things that happen with the book are fun and brand campaigns and conferences but you know i'm i write consistently on maximacoy.com and then i am working on something very exciting that should be out the second half of this year which will be an in-person and streamed experience of me doing what I love the most, which is facilitating other women's stories. And it's called Woman On. And yeah. And so if you go to my Instagram and click the link in there, you'll see a place where you can drop your, drop your email in for when it launches. That's about all I can say right now, but it'll be an in-person and a, a streamed experience. Okay. So get on that list so you don't miss out. All about bringing, you know, bringing women together and moving women forward. I ask everyone, Maxie, who comes on here to thrive, just some, you know, run of the mill questions. Are you ready for these? Please. Are you a morning person or a night person? Morning, 100%. What does a morning person look like in your world? Uh, so morning for me is just, I wake up probably five minutes before my alarm every morning, just the sun wakes me up and I chug some water and I just recently started a meditation practice, um, did my TM classes. So I'm doing transcendental meditation. So doing 20 minutes of that in the morning, I have coffee. So what is very important that I think regardless of what your morning routine is, that has been the biggest life-changing thing for me in the past year or so it's probably been two years by now I've taken my phone out of my bedroom it's not allowed in. So I actually have a morning of at least 10 to 15 minutes, which isn't much, but is, is really game changing that I'm not affected by my, my phone or messages or emails. And it it really gives me some, some time and clarity to not have anxiety first thing in the morning. (laughs) I think that's such a good piece of advice because that, like you said, it's not a huge amount of time, but that is space that you're giving yourself. It's space. And even though I'm not a night person, it's also the space at night. You know, it's like I write in my gratitude journal. I do some reading to fall asleep and I don't get sucked into the scroll. And it, it has just been one of the the biggest, one of the largest small changes I've ever made that if I just, uh, if I could get every person in the world to do that, I, I, 
I, I would. The scroll is like, it's for real. It's like being on a hamster wheel. You just go around, 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 around. Listen, it doesn't matter, as you know, how aware or enlightened <laughs> or, you know, like boundaries you are. Like none of us are bigger than the scroll. <laughs> yeah, it's I an do. addiction. I do know. I know. Okay, what is on your bedside table at the moment? Clearly not your phone. So on my bedside table right now, no phone, but I have a stack of books. I'm right now, I'm reading The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna, who's one of my favorite fiction writers. She wrote my favorite book, uh, Firefly Lane, which is just this emotional female character. I love it. And I have my gratitude journal on my bedstand. I'm very religious about just writing three things every night um, that I'm grateful for. And I always have some fresh flowers on my bedside tables so yeah beautiful yeah do you have a favorite self-care activity Maxi? I think I've just mentioned two of well I've mentioned all three of them the, <laughs> we've already been there done that, that. really natural no really I mean they're oh you want to know what the thing that I so what I was going to say is the ones that I have mentioned that are that are very important and very small are taking the phone out of my bedroom my gratitude journal and this new meditative practice is really helping me create a lot of space. But my other favorite self-care ritual that is a little bit funny, but really like I'm dead serious about it is my Oprah candle. Oh, can you tell us more? I am dying to know more. Yes, I can. So it is a devotional, like if you know the old Catholic saint candles, it looks like that, like a devotional candle, but it has Oprah's face on it. And it is was sent to me <laughs> as a joke by a best friend because I'm obsessed with Oprah, as many of us are. But it really has become this ritual of the way that, you know, I am able to support friends. Like they'll text me and be like, Max, can you light the Oprah candle? Like this, this, and this is going on. Or I tell people I'll light the candle for you. And it really is my way of of sharing prayer and good thought and intention. And, and I do it for myself also and, and for other people. And it, yeah, it just, it gives me the, the grounding and spiritual energy I need both for myself and for others. Do you know what I love is that you actually have an action. Yes. Right. And, and that's kind of the thing, like when, and I'm sure you all experience this is a human experience when people are going through hard things, it's one thing to say positive words to them, but it's another to say like, I'll actually do this for you. And I think prayer is a beautiful thing, no matter what your religious faith is, but it's, it's something that you can't see. And for the Oprah candle, I send the photo of the lit Oprah candle to the people that I've said, I'll, I'll send good thoughts or I'll send a prayer for. And it, yeah, it is this active and visual thing. And, you know, mother Oprah, right? <laughs> I'm just loving the fact that I've got, I've got a candle sitting in front of me, but it has no Oprah on it. And now I'm feeling a little jealous about the Oprah candle. I might need one. I am currently looking at two Oprah candles in front of me because I buy them in bulk and one kind of got to the bottom. So I brought the other one out. And <laughs> So quick question, do you have to have your Oprah candles specifically made or do people sell Oprah candles? No, people sell Oprah candles. So they're called <laughs> like, 
uh, like on Etsy, there's all kinds of websites for these. There's actually many versions of the Oprah candle. I also, so I have what I call the altar of women. And it's a lot of these devotional candles like Maxine Waters and Michelle Obama and Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Adele. And like, I mean, you can get Mariah Carey. Like, I mean, there's just Britney Spears if you wanted her. <laughs> wow. You've it's, opened me up to a whole new world, Maxine. I, I, I might need to apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I love it. I like that. I like that there's an action when you're sending your love. Uh, yeah. Do you have a book self-help or otherwise that has touched you at an important point in your life one that you recall with fondness as a favorite yeah I I am a voracious reader and so there's a lot of books that just are, are so close to my heart it's hard to pick one but specifically around your question at the right time because I think that's you never forget those books that for whatever reason found you when you needed to be found and for me it was Danielle Laporte's Firestarter Sessions I had been following her for a long time but I read I read Firestarter Sessions when I was transitioning out of my job at Levo and into running my own business and there was this one question in it. And I don't even remember what it was, but it was just the, it was the light bulb moment that got me into action. And I needed that book and that question and that chapter at that specific time. And her book also, when I went to write mine, I remembered that experience of how the right question at the right time can help facilitate you to your own wisdom. And that became my intention for writing. You're not lost is that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try and change your life with my amazing thoughts and ideas because none of them are that new and none of them are that amazing. But what is amazing is when I can facilitate you to your own insight. And that's where I believe all the magic really happens. Oh, such a good point. I have not read the Firestarter sessions. I might need to have a look at that one. It's a good one. What's a life lesson that you felt took a long while for you to learn? Like perhaps a lesson that really had to give you a bit of a good scuffle up before you, you really paid attention. Yeah, it, it is a hundred percent around what it takes to be the highest expression of who we are in a world telling us to do otherwise. And for me, that took to the past few years, especially just kind of really owning who I am and the way that I, that I talk and what I look like and the things that I want to talk about and not trying to fit these molds. It's hard. And it's also, it becomes even harder for women of color and women of different sexualities and women of different upbringings. And it just, it, it is something that I think the more we can become uh, really in, in tune with of what it takes to really express ourselves and not express ourselves in the way that social media is telling us to, or in the way other people have told us to, the more that the right path, the right opportunity, the right people will find us, but it's hard. Yeah. Right. Lifelong lesson. How would you describe the soul, Maxie? Mm, I love this question. I love the Oprah soul session in it. I'm also a bit of an Oprah fan. So there is why we got to get you the candle. That's why I need the candle. I never thought all the times that I listened to this, that I would have to think about how I would answer it. The first word that comes to mind is eternal, you know, and, and just that there's, there's so much more here than, than the day-to-day problems of, of what we're 
facing. And it's just, that gives me a lot of, a lot of hope that what lives on is, is the essence of us. And, and there is an eternal nature to it. I will totally take that as an answer. <laughs> what does fulfillment mean to you? Fulfillment means presence. Like the more that I can be in the present moment and aligned with my own talents and my own reason for being here, which is to support other women, uh, that that gives me fulfillment. But that is also the work too, is, is learning how to be in the moment versus be in the outcome. Oh, learning how to be in the moment as opposed to be in the outcome. How powerful yeah. statement is that? I don't know because I'm really trying to figure it out. Wow. <laughs> I feel like that's a, a tough lesson that I still navigate. But yeah, learning how to not focus on the outcome so much. You've mentioned gratitude and the part it has played in your life a number of times through the podcast. And I personally think that you are the person that has managed to make gratitude as cool as it deserves <laughs> to be by your way that you frame it up. Maxie has a whole movement. Hashtag batshit grateful. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about what part gratitude has played in your journey to date and where batshit grateful came from for you? Yeah. You know, the, the journey was really, I was, it was when I read Oprah's what I know for sure. So I had been someone who like many of you, we know the power, we know the research of a gratitude journal and a gratitude practice, but actually doing it for me was like a totally different story. I had lots of journals that I had bought and never kept. I had I even had an email account one time where I was like, Oh, this'll do it. I'll, I'll email my grateful at maxymccoy.com. That's not the actual email address. Um, <laughs> I like it. Though. You know, with the things that I'm grateful for, it was something like that. And, and this is how I will keep this practice. And that didn't work. Um, because I think I was just doing it because everyone told me that I should do it. And then it wasn't until I read the very real personal story of Oprah saying, you know, when she was at the height of her success, she was feeling the least amount of fulfillment. And when she reflected on why that was, it was because she for decades had kept a tiny gratitude journal and she had stopped. And that for me, just really, it, something clicked. And I was like, well, shoot, it doesn't get bigger than Oprah at the height of her success you know, in the height of that show. And so if she was feeling that way, what makes me think that anything will be any different for me? And it was then that I was like, okay, if I just go get one of these tiny cashier journals and I can take it with me when I travel and I can, you know, really pay attention to being consistent with this, um, even in the ups and downs, hopefully as things get bigger, I'll, like it'll really, it'll really keep me grounded because, you know, as things get bigger, problems get bigger. And I've spent probably four years really consistently journaling and it's an amazing, it is an amazing practice because there's a lot of hard days, but even on the hard days, there's still something to be grateful for. And then at the end of every year, being able to read the things that I was actually writing down had nothing to do with these like external successes and these achievements. It had everything to do with the random FaceTime with my brother or the, my apartment or the sun setting. And it just, it grounds you into what actually matters because you're able to look back and see what actually matters day to day. And batshit grateful. I honestly, Kate, I think I was on a bus writing in an Instagram post. Cause I like to do some like long form writing on most of my posts. And this was a couple of years ago. And I was, 
I think it had to do with the book. I'm, I'm having a hard time. I'll have to go back and figure out the first time I ever used it. But I remember kind of typing out on this Instagram post, something that like, really wonderful that was happening that I was really grateful for. And it, it just, none of like words were escaping me. And I was like, I just feel crazy. I feel crazy grateful. I feel I don't feel batshit. I feel batshit grateful. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, you always know something resonates when people start using it back to you. And that's really what happened is, is so many of my community of women started, started using that word in return. And so, you know, I think it's just a, a, uh, hyperbolic way of talking about talking about gratitude that's it every time I post something I'm grateful for I'm hashtagging it batshit grateful watch this space people (laughs) one of the reasons I personally loved you was that you are big on women supporting women and I got that vibe immediately when I started digging a little bit more into who you are and what you stand for can we talk about what that means to you yeah so for me Supporting women has always just been core to what I've been doing in the past seven years. And I think, you know, we hear this, you know, about empowering women. I don't actually know if empowering them is what we need to do. It's, it's really just us recognizing our own power. And so for me as a facilitator, both in rooms and in writing, in being able to really ask women questions of themselves, it's to lead them back to knowing their own power. And that matters so much to me because when you're a woman in your own power, you can lead another woman to that power in the same way. And then in that kind of mass scale, there's literally nothing stopping us. And I think, you know, never has there been a time more than now where I think we all recognize how needed that is. Oh, I so hear you. And working in the space that, you know, we both work in here, I have found that those women who I reach out to, like yourself, who are just so generous with your time and your knowledge, wow, it really does feel like we're walking this journey together, even though we're all kind of doing it by ourselves. Yeah, we are. We are all together. And I think the the women in their power are the other women that it's so easy to support. Yeah, I hear you. Totally hear you. Maxie, we've come to the end and I just want to ask you one more question. Yes, ma'am. If you could leave the listeners of Here to Thrive with just one thought today, what would it be? I think it would be to just circle back to a little bit of where we started If you are feeling lost, you might think that you don't know what to do next, but I bet you the answers and the energy and the things that excite you are all very much there. So just do something small, take the pressure off of yourself and off of your future and and do something small that excites you and, and keep doing it. And there really is no limit to where that will lead. wasn't she a lot of fun hashtag batshit grateful that maxi mccoy came on the here to thrive podcast and that i get to share it with you on that note i'm going to be using hashtag here to thrive and hashtag batshit grateful over on instagram so come and find me at kate.snowwise check how it's spelt in the podcast but it is just as it sounds snow wise 
over on Instagram. Come find me. Now, Maxie, you can find her at MaxieMcCoy.com and her book, You Are Not Lost, is in Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever good books are found. You can also find her over on Instagram at MaxieMcCoy. I'll be back in another couple of weeks with another episode to help you live an inspired and intentional life. So come back and until then, you can even hit subscribe actually, that might be really useful. But until then, keep thriving beautiful people, keep thriving.